be thankful for a father in heaven who cares for his children. We should be thankful that he is God. For the Lord, he is God. It is he that has made us and not we ourselves. This is God. This is God. He spoke and galaxies appeared. This is God who spoke in beasts of the field and birds of the air and fish of the sea came into existence, who could form man from the dust of the earth and with one rib could form an entire woman. He split the sea in two, causing them to stand like walls so the Israelites could walk through on dry land. This is God brought one city to its knees through the holler and scream of mortal beings, gave one man the ability and the strength to single-handedly slaughter a thousand men with nothing but a donkey's jawbone. This is a mighty God who cares for you. This is who we should be thankful to and thankful for. Yeah, I recognize that voice. I like it. Hey, listen, just one or two other quick things. Tonight, 5 o'clock, our prayer team will be meeting, first and third always uh, of the month. They meet uh, in the fellowship hall. They would be very happy if you would join them. And also, okay, so over the next few weeks, you're going to notice a, a... a person missing from the stage, and that's Rachel. So I want you to know nothing bad has happened, okay? Um, She is a a technical wizard and so has been asked to come to another of our campuses to help resolve some technical issues, and she needs to be there on Sunday to listen and see what's happening. So anyway, in case you wonder, because people will say, well, what have you done with Rachel? I didn't do anything, I promise. Okay, listen, I want to do one more thing before we jump into the message this morning, and that is to pray over these names. Those of you who've been here for uh, a month or so now know that uh, during our evangelism series, I encouraged you one week to fill out names on here of people that you were praying for and to bring them to the front. I want you to to know or remind you that there are nearly 150 names here. It just blesses my heart to know that there are folks you are specifically praying for and asking God to give you opportunity to uh, talk to them about Jesus and their relationship with the Lord and perhaps also to invite them uh, maybe to join us at Christmas Eve. Man, it's good. you're going to have to get here early because I'm praying for 150 people in here on Christmas Eve. So uh, that's going to be amazing, right? It's a great, great service. So Do that, pray over them. I'm going to pray over them before we get underway this morning, all right? Father in heaven, we have so many people in our lives. Uh, Many of them are represented here by these uh, names on little sticky notes. And... uh, But there are others that we are praying for, we're concerned for, perhaps they don't know Christ and we want an opportunity to witness to them or people who are going through a a difficult time have somehow gone through a season, they've become disassociated with uh, church life and the fellowship of the family of God and we we long to see them restored. And so Father, I'm asking for your uh, intervention in their lives. And I pray that you would use us to accomplish it, Lord. I don't... I don't want the church to do it. That's too big in general. I want to be involved in the lives of the names I stuck up here. And I know my brothers and sisters here want the same. So would you uh, sovereignly work in the hearts of these people, Lord? Make them open at least to an invitation to come to church. And uh, I pray that we would enjoy the the fruit of uh, interactions that we'll have in the coming weeks and months. For I ask in Jesus' name, amen. 
All right, as uh, Pastor Sean mentioned earlier, we are going to spend several weeks now getting ourselves prepared for the Thanksgiving season, three weeks in particular. And then I want you to know we have five sermons for the Christmas season, and then it's 2023 already. Can you even imagine such a thing? But in thinking about that, I want you to go back in your mind just a couple of years. We experienced a season in which the phrase social distancing became in vogue, right? I don't know about you, but that was really hard. Now, I get it. I'm an extrovert, so I love being around people. Uh, I know people personally who were like, that was like an introvert's dream. I had to stay home by myself all the time. Uh, I get it. Some people were not terribly bothered by that, but it was a fascinating season, right? When we left the house, we were all uh, geared up with our masks and our hand sanitizer, and we stayed six feet from everybody. It was really, really a weird season, right? Mitch and I, my son Mitch and I, went to Bass Pro. That's one of the things we like to do. And uh, during that season, of course, you had to go and you had to get in line and you couldn't be around anybody else. And so we showed up and put our name on a list. And like an hour and a half later, I got a text. Okay, it's your turn. You got 10 minutes to be here. And so we went in this big cavernous building and walked around with maybe 20 other people in the whole building, staying away from everybody. I promise you, we spent some time in there that day and I bought some stuff because I wasn't going to wait all that time for nothing. And... uh, But it was just weird, right? We were separated from everybody else except the people right in our own unique circle, our own circle of friends and influence. I also vividly remember the first time I came back to church. So Coastal was uh, among the churches that shut down for the shortest period of time. And so we opened up as soon as our governor said, okay, you can open up, we did. And that was like six or so weeks into it. But still, a lot of people really felt better about just staying back and, and taking their time and returning to being in public. And, but I remember the first service that I came back to worship. I was still the pastor up at our Gloucester campus at the time, and I stood there weeping. I could hardly sing. It didn't occur to me to that day that how much this being separated from people impacted me. The sense of being alone was was hard on the soul, right? I mean, mental health professionals were talking and writing about the impact that this was having on people being separated. You saw the pictures, right, of people who were who were seeing through a window grandparents or or grandchildren or whatever, right? We couldn't be near each other. We had to stay separate from each other. I want you to have that in the background of your mind as we're looking at Luke chapter 17 this morning because we're going to talk about a group of people who lived that way. That was their life. It was, in certain respects, their life sentence. So let me read for you from Luke 17, beginning in verse 11. On the way to Jerusalem, he was passing by along uh, between Samaria and Galilee, and he, and we're talking about Jesus, of course, entered a village and he was met by 10 lepers who stood at a distance and lifted up their voices saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. When he saw them, he said to them, go show yourselves to the priests. 
And as they went, they were cleansed. Then one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back, praising God with a loud voice. And he fell on his face at Jesus' feet, giving him thanks. Now, he was a Samaritan. Then Jesus answered, were not ten cleansed? Where are the nine? Was no one found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? He said to him, rise, go your way. Your faith has made you well. Two main points this morning. Not that that'll make the sermon any shorter, but two main points. I want to start by learning from this story. There are some things that help us get a little background to this story. And the first is that this was a terrible disease. In the scriptures, in scriptural times, there were a number of diseases that were kind of lumped under this, and it was a skin disease, but it was degenerative. It was a horrible, horrible disease. If it ever was healed, which was almost never, it required confirmation to go to the priest because it was so contagious and so horrible that you had to be away from everybody else, and it was a condition that affected every part of you. It slowly, literally ate away at you. It was pervasive, and it was deadly. And if you want to take some time this afternoon, I'm not going to do it now, of course, but go back and find Leviticus. Go back into those, those books and find chapters 13 and 14 and read about what it was like. If you had leprosy, it brought separation. Those who had leprosy, just like these folks here, these 10 people were, were separated from everybody else. And in, in the Old Testament days, they were outside the camp. They had a little separate area where, where they had to be and no one else came. And if anybody started to come near them, they were to holler out, unclean! What a horrible condition right? What a terrible situation to be in. It required divine intervention. These people depended on the mercy of God. They desperately needed healing. And there was no other way that anybody knew to cure it. You couldn't take a pill. You couldn't get some kind of drug therapy, whatever it was. Once you got to the priest and they said, okay, you don't have this anymore, then they went through your house and your clothing and they had a whole system that they figured out what was now, how do we clean it, how do we get this thing all disinfected, make sure it's all good, and anything that couldn't be cleaned got burned. It was horrible. Can I, can I tell you that there is a lot of indication in the scripture that leprosy is to remind us of the pervasive and deadly influence of sin in our soul. It brings separation from God, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, right? But, but those who are sinners, the wages of sin is death, separation from God, but also from other people, right? You, you know, you've experienced that most of the times we get in situations where our relationships are are distant from somebody, we're struggling, there's been a fracture in some relationship, there's usually some kind of sinfulness involved in that, right? It 
causes us to be separated from other people and it requires divine intervention to fix the problem. This is how Paul wrote it when he wrote to Titus, but when the goodness and loving kindness of our God and Savior appeared, he saved us not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior. The healing of the deadly and pervasive condition of sin requires divine intervention from a merciful God. Thankfully for these guys, there was a compassionate Savior. Jesus, as you recall, this is in the same context of when we talked a few weeks ago about Zacchaeus. Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem. He's on his way to give his life as a ransom for many. He is on his way to face all that was going to happen in those final days. Yet he had time to stop and deal with people because Jesus cares about people on the fringes. He cared about people like Zacchaeus. He cared about the blind man that he stopped to see. He cared about Levi, another tax collector. And he cared about these 10 people who nobody else would have thought twice if he just walked on by because all the rest of them were. No, keep them over there. Keep them over there. We've got to protect ourselves from them. Not Jesus. He said, go show yourself to the priest. He does what no one else can do. Remember, here, I mentioned Levi. Here's how Jesus put it when he, when he came to him. He went out and saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at the tax booth. And he said to him, follow me. And leaving everything, he rose and followed him. And Levi made a great feast in his house. And there was a large company of tax collectors. Sounds very much like Zacchaeus, right? And others reclining at the table with them. And the Pharisees and their scribes grumbled at his disciples saying, why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? And Jesus answered them and said, those who are well have no need of a physician. But those who are sick, I've come not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. They had no idea what a slap in the face that was. Well, you think you're fine. What do you care who I spend time with? I'm not here to talk to you. You think you've got it all together. But I am here to talk to the disenfranchised. I am here to call sinners to repentance. Jesus is compassionate and cares for those on the fringes, and he does what no one else can do. Everybody else would have said, even if they knew those people sitting over there, man, I'm really sorry, but there's nothing I can do to help. Not so with Jesus. He said, go show yourself to the priest. The responses to Jesus are interesting to me. By these guys in particular, because it's interesting to me that they all wanted mercy. Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. As they went, they were healed. They would have, perhaps, if, if, if our assumption is true that only the one that came back was a Samaritan and therefore the rest were Jews, that's possibly true, they surely would have known Going to the priest would be the last thing. If you're healed, you're going to be, you're going to be good. 
And so they may have made that connection, connected those dots and said, well, he's telling us to go see the priest. Must be we're going to be healed. As they went, they were healed. But I want you to think about something. When that one came back, the rest were still healed. We're going to find that there was more involved in what happened to that one who came back. The rest just didn't want leprosy anymore. Some people want Jesus to heal and feed them, but they don't care so much about being saved from their sin, and they certainly don't want to submit to his lordship. They don't want Jesus in charge. They just want the benefits of being around what Jesus can do. So let me remind you of something. Jesus could take away your biggest problem in the world right now, physical, financial, relational, whatever the problem is. But if your sins aren't forgiven, you'd still be on your way to the lake of fire we talked about last week. Jesus wants to do so much more than fix the mess. Sometimes we have a small enough faith that all we want is to get the mess fixed. Nine of them were satisfied with that. Oh, good, I don't have leprosy anymore. And they went on with their life. One of them realized, I don't have leprosy anymore. And I know who's responsible for fixing that. And so he immediately, it tells us, turned around and began praising God with a loud voice. When we've been healed, especially of our sin, the natural response to that should be gratitude, thanksgiving, right? So, so one of the things I want you to think about in these next few weeks as we're heading toward Thanksgiving, I want you to take some time to think about what is it I have to be grateful for? It's really easy, I know, for us to, even though we are followers of Jesus, and we know that he's done so much for us, we tend to see the stuff that needs fixed still. And we tend to get fixated on it. And it's like, ah, just got to get this worked out. I got to get this figured out. Man, I've missed a paycheck here or this relationship over here. or Man, I'm just not feeling well and I'm struggling with this. I want us to step a little bit above that and take a little bit bigger picture this year and start thinking now. I've watched a, a trend. I have uh, a few friends on Facebook that always do the month of Thanksgiving, and every day they list something they're thankful for. I, so you don't have to do it on Facebook. I don't care. But it would be a really good practice to wake up every morning and think through, what's something I can thank God for that he has done in my life today? There are some lessons here about Thanksgiving, I think. Four of them, at least. One is this, dependency promotes thankfulness. When I recognize how dependent I am on the Lord, it tends to breed thanksgiving in me. I have to acknowledge how needy I am. It enables me to be more thankful for what God has done. Those who don't recognize how needy they were don't tend to be as thankful. Those who don't recognize that everything I've got is a blessing from the hand of God. Even those who are outside of Christ, it's called common grace. I was just having a theological discussion with a number of guys the other evening. We were talking about common grace. 
You don't have to be a follower of Jesus for God to have the sun rise over your house. The sun rises over followers of Jesus and those who aren't. God is, gives his common grace and cares generously for, for us many, many times. We have the additional understanding that that's where it's coming from, and we have a relationship with God. But those who don't recognize their need won't appreciate what God has done. Even the fact that you have a good job that's paying the bills and giving you some extra comes from God's grace in enabling you to go out and do that, giving you the skills to do your job, giving you the job to be able to earn the money. Everything I have and do is from God. Every good gift, James says, comes down from above, from the Father of lights in whom there is no variableness or shadow of turning. Every good and perfect gift comes from him. So when I recognize my dependency on him, it promotes thankfulness. Secondly, recognition informs my thankfulness. Recognizing who Jesus is. These guys all shouted, uh, maybe there's some ladies in there, I don't know, all these 10 people all shouted, Jesus, Master, save us, have mercy on us. Master, there isn't a word for lordship, for his, his supreme authority. It's just recognizing he was more important than the average person. They'd heard the stories. They recognized his horizontal authority, but they were more interested in what they wanted to get than acknowledging who Jesus was. Like I said, if the reaction of Jesus that only one of them was a Samaritan, a foreigner, what about everybody else? It seems to at least imply they were all Jews. They should have known. This is the Messiah. This is the promised one. All the signs were there. But they were more concerned about the fact they had leprosy and needed to get rid of that than in submitting themselves to the Lordship of Christ. The Samaritan perhaps didn't have all of that background. You, you perhaps know the, the background of the story and why, the, why he points out the Samaritan here, right? The Samaritans were a, were a race of people that were, for the most part, came from Jewish people who married Gentile people, and then there was this other group, and they called them Samaritans, kind of half-breed sorts, right? That's what they thought. So Jews wanted nothing to do with them because they weren't pure. And there was no love loss. It wasn't like the, the people on the Jewish side were the only, well, I mean, the Samaritans hated the Jews too. There was just, they didn't like each other, which interestingly, that didn't seem to exist among the community of those who had leprosy, right? When, when you're at your worst, those kind of lines tend to break down a bit. But here are these, these, these group of people and just like the lady at the well, when Jesus was in Samaria, when he, when he talked to her, when she perceived who Jesus was, she immediately acknowledged who he was and then went and told all her friends, I perceive that you're a prophet. And so she started asking spiritual questions. And once he got to the heart of her spiritual and moral issues, she runs back and says, I think this guy is the Messiah. He's told me all that I've ever done. And ended up being the uh, catalyst for a whole bunch of people to come to faith in the Messiah. This one Samaritan 
who was the last one that should have been expected to respond that way. Thirdly, appreciation expands our thankfulness. We do not deserve the kindness and mercy of God. You know that, right? Romans chapter 5 has words in it that are uh, almost a little too penetrating to think about. Romans chapter 5 and verse 6 says, For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would even dare to die. If you're really a good guy, somebody might be willing to step in. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Mm. It is not just that God saw something good in you and thought, oh, he's worth saving. Uh-huh. That's, that's how we work. That's not how God works. We, we want to identify with the people who are going to up our reputation a little bit. Not so with Jesus. Appreciation expands our thankfulness. You know, ingratitude is one of the fundamental sins of humanity. In Romans 1, when it's talking about uh, mankind and how from the beginning of creation, man has been able to see from the creation that God exists. General revelation. You cannot look at creation and not believe there's a God. You have to choose to say, no, I, re I refuse to accept that. Though they knew him as God, the text says they did not glorify him as God, nor were they thankful. It's one of the fundamental sins of humanity is ingratitude. Our tendency, rather, is to feel we're entitled to God's blessings. We think we deserve to live a particular lifestyle, or we deserve for God to think well of us because we're good people. Appreciation expands our thankfulness. I don't deserve the kindness of God. He didn't save me because I would really be something as one of his children. He saved me because I was nothing, and that's the kind of people he uses, right? Didn't Paul talk about that when he wrote to the Corinthians? We're clay pots. We are the vessels that contain the light of the gospel, which we share with other people. And the express purpose of that, that text says, is so that the glory can go to God and not to us. So if you feel inept and like you really don't have a lot to offer, if you don't have anything else but the opportunity to sing hallelujah to God, that great, get in line. You are just the kind of person God wants to use. Fourthly, learning about thanksgiving, some lessons about thanksgiving, worship springs from thankfulness. When you develop a thankful heart, a thankful attitude, it will result in more expressive worship. I don't mean you're, you'll start raising your hands during worship, though maybe, but it just means your heart is going to overflow. This guy came back loudly praising God. He fell at Jesus' feet and worshipped him. He was quick to offer worship because he understood what God had done and worship always comes from thankfulness. You want to make your worship experience more effective when you show up for corporate worship? 
maybe get up in the morning on Sunday and spend a little bit of time thinking through what is it that God has done in my life that I can give thanks for? And start rehearsing some of that on your way to church. I know it's hard because if you got little ones, you're dealing with them and all that, right? But carve yourself out a few minutes. I suspect that when you enter worship, having demonstrated a thankful heart before God, you're going to find that your worship is just more vibrant. So let me give you... Three things to think about. Ten were healed. One was saved. Want to know how I know that? Verse 19, Jesus said to him, Rise and go your way. Your faith has made you well. They were all healed of leprosy, but his faith had made him well. And the word for being made well in the language that Jesus would have used to talk to him is the word for being saved. Your faith has saved you. It's always talking about the soul. This guy got healed from leprosy and saved from his sin. And the first one was not near as big a deal as the second one. And he knew it. He offered his worship to God. Secondly, practice some purposeful gratitude. I've been talking about that, right? Spend some time consciously sitting down and thinking. You don't have to think about the things that are frustrating, right? They stand up in bold relief. Practice purposeful gratitude and then allow that to move from thanksgiving to worship. A deeper understanding of the gospel and what it is accomplishing in your life will result in worship. It, it naturally causes us to worship vibrantly. You might even get a little loud about it. You might actually tell somebody else how grateful you are to God, right? You might actually, I don't know, sing louder in church. Somebody might even say amen. I know, I know it's hard to, you know, we all come from conservative backgrounds, or most of us. My point is, it's hard to keep it in when we recognize what God has done all of the things he's done in my life in general, and then on top of all of that, he saved me from my sin. He gave me a right relationship to God purely because I repented of my sins, believed in the gospel, and received Christ. We've gone over that over and over and over again. Everyone is a sinner. All of us have, if you will, leprosy of the soul. It is pervasive and it is deadly. I have to come to God. I have to turn from my sin and I have to believe in the gospel that Jesus, God the Son, came to earth, lived the perfect life that nobody else can live. He died on the cross, paying the penalty for my sin, was buried, and on the third day actually literally came out of the grave and came to life again. I repent of my sin. I believe in those facts of the gospel and I receive Christ. I trust in him as my only hope of salvation. And when I do that, my heart is completely cleansed of sin. And I don't have to go to somebody to have them confirm that because the high priest already is the one who did it. Oh, my goodness, if I can just let my heart focus on all of those things, Thanksgiving will be different for me this year. Nine guys missed it. They missed the whole thing. Yes, they got healed of leprosy. 
That's really great. But they would eventually come to the end of life, whether by leprosy or something else, or just old age. And the real question would be, had they offered their lives in submission to the Lordship of Jesus Christ? Had they trusted in Jesus as their only hope of salvation? One did. One did not miss the significance of what Jesus was doing. God is kind to you to draw you. What, what does the scripture say? The kindness of God leads us to repentance. That's why you don't hear me shouting hellfire and brimstone all the time. Now, we talked about it last week because it was the text, right? We had to talk about hell and separation from God. But it's not all the time because I don't want people to come to God only because they're afraid of what might happen in the future. Oh, it is the kindness of God that leads us to repentance. God is kind to you so that you will seek after him. Paul talked about that in Acts 17. He does all of these things so that men will look and search for God. All of the things we think about, all of the things that we're thankful for are designed to bring us to a point of submission to who Jesus is, what he has accomplished, and to worship him. So let's, let's start Thanksgiving with that. Right? Let's not be the ones that miss it. Let's be the one who turns around before I even get confirmation from the priest and says, oh, Lord Jesus, I'm so grateful, and let people around me know. Listen, you got to know what Jesus did for me. He was not at all ashamed. He may have run up to, I can just imagine, right, because they I don't know how long that group had been sitting there, but I would imagine he ran up and, Got real close to a few people. It might have felt like during the pandemic there was, right? You got too close, some people were like, listen, back up. He might even run up and hug somebody. I don't know. I would have because, you know, I'm weird like that. But he was healed. He could not keep that quiet. He loudly praised God. So listen, we're going to sing here in just a minute, and I want to encourage you to loudly offer your praise to God. I'm going to pray, and the team's going to lead us in a song to go out, but man, I want you to know we've got people down here at the front at the end of all of these services, and they are there for you to pray with. If you Man, you've just been encouraged recently by something God has said through his word or something that's going on, or, or maybe you'd just like some prayer support for something you're facing in life. Maybe you want to mention the people that you've been praying for and ask them to join you in prayer, whatever it is. Maybe you're here and you, you don't know Christ. Maybe you want a right relationship to God through Jesus and you're not sure you understand exactly what that means. They will be delighted to show you from the scriptures how you can get that resolved today. Whatever your need is, come talk to them. That's why they're here, all right? But the rest, we're just going to sing and sing our hearts out, all right? Father in heaven, thank you so much. You've done uh, beyond what we could imagine, and we deserve none of it. We deserve to be separated from you. And so uh, we want to stop today and offer our thanksgiving and our worship to you to acknowledge you are a good God. You are good and you do good. And we have been the recipients of it over and over and over again. So we thank you. We thank you for Jesus who made it possible for us to be related to you. 
I pray that you would honor your name through our lives today and this week, for I ask in Jesus' name, amen.